0: hello to all the rugby league diehards and welcome to another episode of six to go which is still belgium's undisputed number one rugby league podcast of course my name is tom campbell and it's great to have your company As we head into today's episode, I can't wait for my guest today as we cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Ben Iken, the former player turned media personality turned head of football at the Brisbane Broncos, one of the most professional and smartest figures in the game of rugby league. Now, inarguably, in the most influential role at one of the biggest clubs in the league. I appreciate him taking some time out of his busy schedule to come on the show. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Ben Iken. I'm joined by Ben Iken as the next guest of the 60 Go podcast. Hey, Ben, how are you, mate?
1: Going good, Tom, in the middle of COVID and trying to manage my way through what you've got to do at home and then at work and um, it's a bit of chaos, but uh, we advanced the cause slowly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't envy you, that is for sure. It's so great to have you on, Ben, and I've got six topics to cover with you today and I'll kick things off with your role at the Broncos. You've been at the Broncos for about six months, give or take, and you've probably been asked a lot, what's the most challenging part of your job? I'm going to go the other way. What's the most rewarding part of your job?
1: Certainly getting to know the players again. Uh, I sort of sat at a distance uh, for, you know, the better part of 10 years on NRL 360, kind of trying as best I can to formulate an opinion about everything that happens inside the clubs and around the players uh, but the moment you sort of step back in to that environment, what you do is uh, get some insight into the human aspect. You know these players uh, all have different backgrounds, all have their own challenges. They're born with some great gifts, uh, but are limited in other areas. And uh, when you kind of step into their world and their their life, uh, you connect with them, and you kind of the inner you know, coach comes out in you. You know, I'm also a parent with four kids, so all the uh, Similar feelings you have about guiding your, your kids through life um, because most of these guys are under the age of 30. You, you kind of those same feelings come out in you uh, when you're back inside the four walls of the Broncos. So I, I found that very rewarding to getting to know the, the players and, and help them where I can.
0: Are there some players that uh, when you were not at the Broncos, you sort of had an opinion in your mind about that totally changed your mind when you got there? Uh, Payne Haas
1: has surprised me with how intelligent he is I'm, I'm not saying that I, I didn't think he was clever before I came but you know we've spent a bit of time together and uh, done a bit of reading of different books and uh, he is super smart he picks things up really quick uh, he can latch on to uh, pretty complex issues and simplify them so he can use them I, I kind of didn't know what I was getting with Payne Haas of course everybody sees how he plays on the, the footy field but over the last six months, what I've come to realise is uh, if he football had to stop tomorrow and he applied himself, I reckon he could probably do most things outside the sport.
0: Well, wow, that's great to hear. That's something, you know, uh, all of us didn't know uh, before you just said that. And uh, when you took the job, uh, COVID, while still being a problem, of course, wasn't as widespread as it is now. Uh, how stressful is the current state of COVID to not only yourself, but the entire management of the game at the moment?
1: It's just a lot of compliance. So it creates a lot of extra work. Uh, that can be frustrating and laborious, but to be fair, I mean, there's no straight lines in rugby league. I mean, that's the motto, and this is certainly another squiggly line. You know, when I stepped into the Broncos job midway through the year, we effectively went straight into a, a COVID bubble, you know, based on the NRL's Apollo protocols, which in some ways allows you to manage everything much tighter, whereas now we've got this a hybrid version where there's a whole lot of things that the players are allowed to do because we're not in competition that presents issues with respect to infection, which then creates all this extra testing that you want to do with them before they come into the training facility. There's a lot of paperwork, a lot of communication with the NRL. So look, it's I wouldn't say it's been difficult. It's just been more work than you'd probably have to undertake. So um, COVID has been annoying for everybody and rugby league is no different.
0: There must be some sort of... uh, Relief isn't the right word, but... And you don't want anyone to get the virus, of course, but the fact that this is happening in the off-season rather than, you know, round 10 obviously helps, you know, we're sort of at a bit of a peak at the moment.
1: I have no position on that, Tommy. I just... Because (laughs) what is true for Omicron (laughs) might not be true for the next variant. And I don't know when that next variant hits and what sort of impact it'll have. So what we're doing at the moment is that this variant is in our world. We're taking the advice from the people who know much more than I do, and we'll handle it as it arrives, and then it'll probably dissipate after a while. And then, as has been the case for the last couple of years, something new will crop up, and then we'll do our best to manage our way through that. So it's just kind of one day at a time.
0: Fair cool. Ben, you've got a generational type talent in Paynehouse. We just mentioned him before at the club at the moment, and... I had Peter Bedell on last week and we spoke about his contract situation. And uh, whilst oh, I won't ask you about that because I'm not No, you sure. can. Uh, okay. What do you want to ask? Well, where, where is the Payne Haas contract situation at the moment?
1: So he's currently contracted to the end of 2024. Yep. So we've got another three years of Payne Haas and uh, there's been some reported issues between Payne and his management, which, you know he's working through at the moment and when he comes out the other side of that then he will let us know and we of course, I think like every rugby league club and possibly a few rugby union clubs on the planet, want to keep Payne Haas at our organization for as long as we can. So once things settle down for him at his end, then we'll start the conversation about what the next phase looks like. But at the moment, Payne Hart is contracted the Broncos for three more years.
0: When I spoke to Peter, we spoke about how he plays like a million dollar player. Now if if I ask you as a head of football, how do you value a player to say he's worth X amount? And I'm not just talking about Payne I'm talking about anyone, whether it be number twenty five on your roster or number one. How do you value someone to say yes, this is what he is worth?
1: So look, there's some objective uh, approaches that we take. You know, which is commonly used in most professional sports these days, linked mainly to data analytics. You know, so what is what are statistics? What does he produce every week? How does he stack up against players that play in that same position? Um, how important is that position in the team? And then, of course, you can apply some sort of value. But then there's all the intangibles that can't be measured. You know, what sort of guy is he? Uh, is he a future leader? Yes, he's made some mistakes in the past, but has he acknowledged those? Is he doing whatever it takes to be better than he was? Uh, What does he bring to the the change rooms? And so when you put all that together and you sort of thrash it out, we've got a roster control group at the Brisbane Broncos. You know, Darren Lockyer sits on that from uh, the board's perspective, a whole heap of people from inside the footy department. And then we kind of mix the objective with the subjective and try and get as close as we can to what we think pain is worth. And then, of course, the thing that gets pushed into that conversation is how the market values him because external to our organisation, there are going to be clubs in a certain cycle that are prepared to pay a huge sum for Payne. So they're, they're all the competing forces that you kind of got to deal with when you're trying to value a player.
0: This fascinates me, Ben. I'm, I'm a bit of a sports nerd. Um, <laughs> well, when when you've got a player like Payne Haas, now, the, yep. in my opinion, Payne Haas, best front row in the game, and there would be clubs out there willing to pay a million dollars for Payne Haas. How do you yep. value a million-dollar front rower compared to, say, a million-dollar halfback. Is a million dollars the best front rower and a million-dollar – sorry, a million dollars the best front rower and a million-dollar halfback the third or fourth best halfback?
1: It doesn't work that way. It's – it's I mean, it can do. So if there's a halfback, let's just say Cameron Munster comes off contract at yep. the Melbourne Storm. You know, he is, you know, possibly the best five eight in the game. Yep. Now Melbourne won't be able to pay as much as, say, the Dolphins, who are, you know are going to get in and try and make a splash. Pardon the pun, very quick. Um, so Cameron Munster has to weigh up um, whether or not he wants to stay at the Melbourne Storm for less and stay in that organisation that he knows and keep winning games, or go as the marquee player in a startup organisation. Now the Dolphins will value the five eight. Uh, differently from what the Melbourne Storm will, because at the Melbourne Storm, they have Jerome Hughes, who they also value highly. So if you've got a marquee 5'8", then you don't need to pay as much to have a halfback. And if you've got a really good six and seven, then potentially you don't have to pay as much for a 9'. It's, it's, it's all a balancing act. So you, you, you're never looking at how you value players in isolation. Yes, that happens to a degree, but then you've got to sit down and try and find balance across your roster in terms of capability and then how you share money to each of those
0: players. So uh, let's just say in Payne next contract, and I'm only using Payne yep. just as an example here, and I'm only throwing a million dollars here because it's easy. Let's say Payne gets a million dollars. Yep. Do you, as, um, do you look to balance that by getting, say, a $400,000 opposite... Front row starter, whereas some clubs might go the direction of going to seven hundred thousand dollars front row starters. For example, Newcastle, Clemmer and Safiti are probably on around that. Um, whereas no,
1: that's that, that, that's exactly
0: how it happens. That's so fair. if You've got a million dollars
1: tied up in, in one front rower. You can't spend as much on the other front rower. Yeah. If you've got if you've got three quarters of a million tied up in your right centre, you can't go and spend the same on your left centre. Yep. You know, if you've got a million dollar fullback, five eight, and halfback, you can't have a million dollar number nine. You know, this is is how you extract the most value out of your nine and a half million is that you are trying to find capability balance where you can so that you've got a strong squad capable of winning a premiership. If you build a strong squad that's capable of winning a premiership, you would hope that some of those players in that squad will stay for less because they value winning. And that's alongside of that, that not every great player that comes through your system can get rich at your club. So Matt Burton is the, the classic example at the Panthers, is that he's a great young player, but the Panthers chose to give the money to Nathan Cleary and Jerome Lewi and probably Stephen Crichton behind that. And so they couldn't afford for Matt Burton to get rich at that club. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't value Matt Burton. It just means that we've had to give this money. We've prioritised our $9.5 on these players. So, mate, as much as we'd like to keep you, as much as we value, if you want to get rich, you're going to have to go and do it somewhere else.
0: And as we come full circle, that is—that was a problem at the Broncos, wasn't it? Now, people like Tevita Pangai and Matt Lodge have left. Doesn't mean you don't like Tevita Pangai and Matt Lodge. It's just it's not a fit.
1: That's right. That's the best way to sum it up. There's not every player is a fit at every club at every point in time, and that's that's what I mean about striking balance. That's the that's the major role of you know a, a roster control group or a head of recruitment. Anyone can look at the competition and tell you, you should go and get him. He's yeah. a great player. We all know that. But all of those great players that everybody said should be at their their club, and that their club should go and get that player, but they've all got to come under the nine and a half million, and you can't get all of them. you know. And you've also got to acknowledge that when you, you know, you're looking at a player trying to make an assessment about whether or not you want to pay them the money, it, it's as much about... Uh, Uh, what they do in the dressing shed, particularly when you get sort of north of three-quarters of a million dollars, as they do on the field. Sure, they have to have an impact on the result every week. I acknowledge that. But if you've got someone who's getting a lot of money at your club who's undermining the system in any way, not for any evil reason, it's just because they're not a fit, then you have to make the, the tough decision, have the tough conversation.
0: Ben, I'd like you to take on an opinion I have, and you can take this in any way you'd like, I believe players' contracts should be publicly available uh, knowledge, and I think fans should be able to go to, whether it be the NRL website or whatever, to see um, registered contracts and see values and uh, years attached to them. Uh, First of all, do you agree with me? And uh, if not, I'd love your reasons why.
1: Yeah, I don't don't agree with the fact that their contracts should be made public. Yep. Um, So I I think that takes some of the... uh, Competitive tension out of the negotiation process for players, uh, but I do believe because we've got a salary cap that once you get beyond the nine and a half million, that every club should have to make public the total amount that they're spending on third-party agreements. Yeah. So if you take your nine and a half million that you're spending on players inside the cap, and then one club spending an extra three million in third-party agreements on their squad compared to another club. Is only spending 500,000, then Club A has a $2.5 million advantage over Club B. And fans should know that. So that if Club B gets up and beats Club A, you know, then the Minnows, um, the David, goes and beats the Goliath. You know, that's that's kind of what happens in some of these other codes around the world. You know, you know, Leicester was a classic example. Not spending a stack of money, you go through, win the English Premier League. You know, I'm sure it's happened in Major League Baseball and NFL. Um, where there's less restrictions on what you can pay players. And that could be true for our game. If we made public total third-party agreements by club.
0: Yeah, I I support that 100%. And I'd be totally happy with uh, the third-party agreements being made public as well. Also, I just think that, you know, rugby league's not shy of a salary cap scandal every now and then. Uh, This is where the reason I was coming uh, from. We see in America, for example, it's, it's extraordinarily rare for a salary cap scandal in American sports because everything is so public and it's able to be, the numbers will be able to crunch by anyone. So it's all out there. And you're right, like uh, the Minnows, for example, it's great achievements. For example, the Tampa Bay Rays uh, have had a couple of great seasons in the Major League Baseball. Uh, Max Scherzer has just signed a contract for the New York Mets worth more than the entire Tampa Bay Rays salary. So it, it, it is fascinating from that point of view, but I, I appreciate your thoughts on that, no doubt
1: yeah look it it I, I get the the concepts, but um, you know I, I think the third party agreements being made public would effectively show up you know how uh, clubs are managing to fit so many great players potentially under a nine and a half million dollar salary cap because you know good players want to be paid what they're worth. It's getting harder and harder to put someone on your cap now with all the auditing that goes on at the NRL you know for for way unders what their market value is. You know, if there's any discrepancies that way, the NRL will pick it up. You know, so if we were to go and offer Payne Haas $500,000 in his next deal, the NRL would ask some very tough questions of us because yeah. they would think, well, if he's, particularly if he's getting offered, you know, in excess of a million dollars elsewhere, they they would say there's no way he's sacrificing that much to stay there so where's the money coming from, would be the next question. But if you make public all the third-party agreements, and again, you can only make the legitimate ones public, then maybe that just appeases the fans in some small way.
0: Ben, you were the host of a very successful Fox League show, NRL 360, before taking the Broncos job. And whether it was ever an option to stay as part of the show in any sort of role whilst taking up your role now, uh, I've got no idea. But I'll be totally honest, Ben, I'm glad you didn't, and don't get me wrong, I loved you as a host, I thought you were brilliant, but I personally don't like when people who have roles at NRL clubs, particularly high roles, then also have high-profile media jobs, Uh, because to me, there will always be a question of integrity when they're discussing certain topics. Um, What's your thought on someone having both an on-air role, and whether it be commentary or as an analyst, whilst being a board member or a coaching role or another high-profile role at a club?
1: It it does make it difficult, and to be fair, it it sits well and truly within the realm of your own personal values. When NRL 360 originally started, I was on the board of the North Queensland Cowboys, and we were going one night a week. And for that first two years, I found it difficult not only to talk about the Cowboys, but then anything I did say about the Cowboys, how that would be received by the people uh, at the organisation on which I was a, a board member. Um, So as soon as NRL 360 went from one night a a week to three nights a week, I thought, I'm going to run into a whole stack of trouble here. I don't feel comfortable with this. I chose to step down from the Cowboys board. I took up the Queensland Rugby League board position, sort of at the back end of my uh, tenure on NRL 360, mainly because the QRL role was predominantly grassroots-focused. And by the time Origin rolls around, everybody... I think, is meant to be one-eyed and biased when it comes to Origin, even on NRL 360. So, um, look, for me, I think it just makes it uh, that there's a whole stack of conflict at different levels, and if you can manage that personally, then good on you, keep doing it. But for me, I just found it uh, a little too difficult, so I I chose to separate the two roles.
0: So you don't think that there should be any uh, sort of... And I know it would be tough to sort of put any sort of rule in place, but as long as a broadcaster and club were both happy with it, you'd be fine with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've got no issue with it. As long as you're declaring your interest, it's, it's only when your agenda, you know, is hiding in the shadows, but you know, so so Greg Alexander uh, has been on the Penrith board for for 20 years. You know, he's passionate about that club. It's, you know, he took them to a premiership. He's a former captain. He's a legend. And, you know, he, he wants to give back, and it's been a long journey for him to kind of get the Panthers back to premiership winners. And I, I think there's something in his bones that wanted to see that happen, but he's also a very good broadcaster. And I, I, I don't think, you know, if you handle it in a sophisticated, mature way, that you, you should be forced to give up one over the other, if, if you can find a way to do it well.
0: Fair point. Ben, Adam Reynolds has joined the club this off-season. First of all, how is he health-wise? And after a deep uh, finals run last season, of course, going to the grand final. And would I was thinking about this the other day. Would he be the most significant signing for the Broncos in recent history?
1: I would say yes to your second question. He, um, he dropped into a few ball work sessions uh, before he was actually meant to get back to training uh, based on a compulsory leave period. And to say, Kevy got excited is probably an understatement. He's just a class act. Um, The whole tone of the training session improved, the level of communication, um, the the crispness of everything that the team did. Just went through the roof the moment Adam Reynolds injected himself into the group and um, the second part, is he healthy? Yes, he is. He finished the season uh, with a a bit of a shoulder disturbance, didn't require surgery. Uh, The poor bugger, when he finally did get back to training, I think Two days later, had to go on a three-day army camp, which, uh, as you're probably well aware of by now, all the stories that come out about these camps, quite torturous. So I think he, he pushed his shoulder a bit there, um, got through okay, and with the rest period through Christmas, I think he's going to come back to us very healthy. So we're, we're very excited about Adam Reynolds going to the Broncos this year.
0: Was he on the radar um, pre-you going to the Broncos, or was it just he, a happenstance? He, he was signed before I got to the Broncos. Oh, okay. All right, yeah,
1: yeah, so that happened prior to me. Uh, Kurt Capewell was also on the radar prior to me arriving at the Broncos. Um, so Kevy was able to do some uh, good deals with Dave Donaghy uh, in Dave Donaghy's first six weeks. Um, and I think Adam Reynolds will probably be at the top of the list, although I will say Kurt is going to be magnificent for us. Uh, we also get Ryan James, who will give us a... A great role model for those wonderful young forwards we've got. Um, so the, the the roster, on balance, as we were discussing earlier, we feel like has it's, it's improved a lot uh, on the last two years. So we've got uh, some experience, some youth, some strikes, some game awareness, all the things you need to kind of produce a quality performance. So I think Kevy's done really well to assemble a good squad.
0: Do you know who's going to play six? There was some rumour mid-last year that Katoni Stays might be in the frame for that, but that might have just been all contract negotiations and stuff. Is there any firm favourite for the 6 jersey at the moment?
1: No firm favourite, but they're all going hammer and tongs. So, Albert Kelly, Tyson Gamble, Billy Walters, are kind of one, two and three at the moment, but in no particular order. Uh, I'm sure Adam Reynolds will have a a big son who he wants to partner him. Uh, And then sitting in behind them, uh, we've got, Young Ezra Mamm, who's just extended with the Broncos. He came out of our academy, made his debut in the Intra Super Cup last year uh, for South Logan Magpies. He's a future star. We're really excited about Ezra. He he could potentially play some first grade this year. And then uh, on our development list, we have Tamari Martin, the former Kiwi International, had to retire with a brain bleed. So Tamari's going to find his way back into an NRL system with us. So he sits just outside our top 30. And then we have Tyrone Roberts, uh, who's a very crafty half, who's with us on a train and trial contract. He's linked with one of our affiliates, uh, the Norse Devils. So, Adam Reynolds has got the seven, and then I think I rattled off about six names there of guys that'll be vying for that other position. So, um, it's been hotly contested, Tommy.
0: Uh, even with the signings, uh, those most recent signing you mentioned them all there. Um, it is still quite a youthful team when you take a look at it. Uh, what, who are you most excited about personally uh, amongst this crop of youngsters coming through?
1: Yeah, look, I'm a I'm a big Jordan Ricky fan. Yeah. So he he'll he'll sit out there on the right edge. I, I can't wait to see Katani Stags back fit and healthy. Uh, he'll also be on the right edge, and then uh, probably sitting at the end of that um, pretty lethal right side will be a guy called Selwyn Cobbo. Yeah. So when you think about Adam Reynolds, who plays down the right side, inside of uh, Katoni Staggs, who's outside of Jordan Rickey, uh, who are both inside of Selwyn Cobbo, um, there's some great talent on our right edge. Uh, the other bloke I'm really happy for uh, feedback from his knee uh, reconstruction is Pat Carrigan. He's a really smart guy. Great leader. He's a great trainer. He's a he's a workhorse. He realizes his game in the past has been a bit straight up and down, so he's been working his backside off to try and build some extra tools to do starting starting thirteen for us.
0: Selwyn's a name that came up last week when I was chatting to Peter Bedell. As a we we both discussed an Origin bolter. Now whether it be this year or next year, Origin certainly looks in his future, doesn't it? Particularly with Queensland centre stocks at the moment, just quietly.
1: Yeah. So we, we don't know where Selwyn ends up, but we're not trying to rush him. You know, we yep. want to give him a good education and um, make sure that uh, he's got all the, the tools he needs, you know, once he sort of masters being on the flank to maybe hop into the centres at some point, um, have a, a look at fullback. But, you know, we've got Herbie Farmworth at left centre, who is a, a quality player. We've got Tessie New, who finished the season so strongly for us last year, probably going to start the season at fullback between the three of them. They'd all, they could all play through those three positions. Um, but with respect to Selwyn, while at the moment he's being compared to Greg Inglis and Latrell Mitchell, the key for us is, as excited as we are about him, we just don't need to rush his development.
0: Ben, the Broncos haven't made the finals in the past two seasons. What are your expectations this year, personally?
1: Top eight. Yep. Yeah. You're kidding yourself if it's not top eight. Look, I'll be honest. I think there's probably based on last year, you know, six quality football sides and then the rest. Yep. And, you know, I don't know if that's changed. They haven't done as much analysis as I normally would do this time of year, preparing for NRL 360, more focused on our club. Yep. But I still feel like the goal for everybody who finished from seven down last year is to get to the top of the pile of those other clubs. And we believe we're good enough. Um, I believe that Kevy will be better for the run Uh, as head coach last year. The coaching staff will be stronger together. The playing group uh, has improved in a few key areas, roster, combination, etc. That there's enough going right for us to be legitimate finals contenders. And so I've, I've said it publicly. I know Adam Reynolds has said the same thing, that if we miss finals next year, it will be a fail.
0: You joined the Broncos mid-last year. This will be your first full season. How do you feel? Nervous? Excited?
1: Oh, I don't get nervous or excited, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Asked Paul Kent. I'm, I tend to be a bit boring. I operate in straight lines. I'm, just, uh, I'm a man of process, so I just like to go to work, do the work as well as I possibly can, come back the next day and do it all over again. It's just a... It's just kind of my thing. You know, like I'm, Kevy and I balance each other out well. You know, he's very emotional and passionate and likes to connect with people, um, you know, at a deeper level. Whereas I like to focus on the doing of the thing, less the person that's doing the thing.
0: (laughs) Well, Ben, that's it for myself. I can't thank you enough for coming on the 60 Go podcast. I appreciate you taking the time and coming on and I know you're very busy, but you're welcome back anytime
1: thanks Tom appreciate it thanks mate talk soon good on you mate
0: a big thanks to Ben for coming on the show today he's got a big job ahead of him but it's clear he's already laying some very solid foundations back at Red Hill and hopefully we can have a chat to him later in the year and see how he's going by the way if you want to get in contact with me you can on Twitter at tcanfell. please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe my name is Tom Canfell it's been so good to have your company until next time this has been the 60 Go Podcast and that is full-time.